All right, we're in Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five, I'm gonna set it up in this way. How you see the world, how you think about the world is shaped by your presuppositions. What you bring to the discussion as you look at the world, and this goes for everybody, this goes for all people in the world, the presuppositions you bring to the evidence you see shades, colors, and sometimes even determines what you're gonna see. Think about it this way. If I put on a pair of sunglasses, don't these look cool? Don't, I like these. Man, y'all are dark. Why are you dark? Can we turn the lights up? Why, why are you dark? I'm just kidding. Um, it's because I have sunglasses on, right? It affects things. Right. So now what if I put these glasses on? Some of you won't even know what these glasses are. Oh, so y'all know what these are? These are shooting glasses. So this is when you got shooting, you have to wear eye protection. These are my eye protection shooting glasses. This makes you all look yellow. Why are y'all so yellow? Y'all need to get out in the sun more. So you see my point, right? Now, how many of you have had sunglasses that get a scratch on them and the scratch is right in the middle of the lens and that scratch annoys you to no end because you can't get rid of it and so you keep taking your glasses off and you keep rubbing the lenses and thinking that's gonna make it go away and you put them back on, it's like it's not there. So then if you're like me, you like spit on the glasses and then do it again to see if that works and then you finally realize, yeah, some of you thought that's nasty. That's it probably is, I don't care. Um, and then you're like, these glasses are ruined and so you throw them away because it affects how you see things. So I'm gonna put my glasses up so they're not a distraction for you for the rest of chapel and hide them down here. The presuppositions we bring to our theological understandings affect how you see the world. Think about it. What if I look at the world through a presupposition of evolution? It all just happened. How many of your disciplines are impacted by that? How much of how you see the world is shaped by the fact that you have completely ruled out that there could be a creator who created the world in seven literal days resting on the seventh? Think about presuppositions like what if you bring to the equation that you are in charge of your life? It's all chance, it's all me, I'm in charge of it. Think about the presupposition that some bring to the equation that mankind and womankind are innately good. Inside of us, there's always the desire to do what's right and what's good. How many of your disciplines is that gonna affect? The things that you're gonna do for the rest of your life are gonna be impacted by how you think about these things. We have to examine our presuppositions. Some of you come at this with the American rugged individualism and not a community mindset, and that presupposition affects how you see everything. Some bring to it this this absolute free will of I can do whatever I want to and nobody's telling me what to do and nothing is predetermined in life and all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, there are other views, but it shapes how you see everything. Today, we're gonna get into a text that shapes a whole lot and it's way too deep to cover in one chapel message, so we're gonna skim over it and fly by, but I wanna set it up to you in this way. Before we read our text, I'm not gonna have you stand today because I want you to get your pencils out, highlight in your Bible, write, do whatever you do if you're a person that does all of those type things. So I'm gonna let you sit during the text, but here's what I wanna point out to you. I wanna point out to you the repetition that's in the text. So when you think about just this text, Romans 5, 12 through 21, this is not a huge passage. The repetition in this text, sin or death, 
is equivalent, something of that genre is there about 25 times. I'm gonna show you that in the orange when I put the text up on the screen. So I've kind of highlighted that, which is something you could do with different colored pens as you're studying a text of scripture to kind of say, okay, what is this about? And let it pop out to you. The word one is used 13 times. So I've got that in the green. The word rain is used five times and it creates this interesting contrast between the rain of death and the rain of life or righteousness and all the good things that come with life. And so there's this interesting contrast and, and the one sets up this interesting contrast between the one man Adam and the one man Jesus. And so here we've got this text with all this repetition. So Jesus and Adam are contrasted repeatedly. Friends, when you are born into this world, you are in Adam. Adam and what he has done affects you. This text will tell us that. So our first birth is in Adam. We'll talk about the effects of that. The rebirth to be in Christ Jesus then also affects us in many different ways. This text is gonna help us to understand some of those things. So just to let you know how deep this text is and to get your thinking cap on and to get ready, we're gonna we're sing at the end so you'll leave encouraged. But here's the theological implications, just some of them in this particular text. Did physical death come through sin? So listen to me. If physical death came through sin and that sin came through Adam, then that rules out evolution or a long history before Adam because you can't have death occurring in a good creation if death came through Adam. This is a foundational passage that impacts where you fall in creation and where you fall in the age of the earth. How was Adam our representative? Well, there are three main views. The first view is an example. He was just a bad example. We just all end up following the bad example. That doesn't accurately understand or define why everybody sins. That was Pelagius' view. Pelagius was fought against by Augustine. Augustine has the second view I have listed for you, seminal headship, meaning that we were all in Adam. And he was operating off a mistranslation of the Latin. He didn't use the original languages, which is a good reason for all of you to learn the original languages. But in operating off of that, he said we were all in Adam. It's called seminal. You'll figure out why. It's the DNA version that we were there, we sinned, and so we're guilty. We'll see if this text supports that. And then there's another view called federal headship. This just means Adam was our representative. So Adam was our representative. He sinned. That sin then is imputed to us. You say, wait a second, that's not fair. Time out, it gets better because then Jesus does what he does and his righteousness is imputed to us, which we'll never earn. And so be okay with the imputed sin because you need to really be okay with the imputed righteousness. So is that your view? This text is where most of these come from. Are we innately good or innately evil? I cannot overemphasize how important it is for you to get this right in your various disciplines. We talked about social work. When you walk into a situation do you automatically assume that everybody in that situation is innately good or innately evil? Think about politics. Why do we have a separation of powers? Because ultimate power corrupts ultimately. There's an understanding that we have, that I have, that I am not innately good. This text talks to us about that. Does this passage teach universalism? Verse 18 is used to support universalism. Y'all know I'm gonna say no. We'll get to why as we walk through the text. Is Adam a literal, historic person? Did Adam and Eve really exist? Well, this text is gonna be a great text to help explain that to you. So, let's read the text now. You stay seated, I'll read it. You can underline, circle, highlight, do whatever it is that you wanna do 
And I know you'll be standing in your heart or whatever because this is God's word. We respect it. But stay seated. Do what you need to do here. I'm supposed to give you the main idea before I do that. That would be wise. All right, here's your main idea. The free gift of life in Jesus reigns over sin and death in Adam. This main idea doesn't even relate to all the theological issues. But this is what I wanna come back to at the end, is that the free gift of life in Jesus reigns over sin and death in Adam. Friends, this is good news because all the messed up stuff Adam does, Jesus fixes it all. All the messed up stuff we do, Jesus overcomes it all. That's your good news today. Here's your outline. We're gonna look at the ruin of man through Adam in 12 through 14. We're gonna look at the rescue that comes through Jesus in 15 through 19. Now, this text doesn't necessarily break down this way exegetically, but this is good for the sermon. And then the reign of Christ in 20 and 21. You'll see what I'm talking about as we walk through it. Now, let's read our text. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, you notice sin, you notice the one. Get that in your mind, the colors. And then death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come. But the free gifts, free gift mentioned here five times, it's free, but it's not cheap. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift, it follows many trespasses and it brought justification. For if, because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, even greater, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, now here's your verse where they talk about universalism. It's not that because reign in life, it's not that because you have to receive it in verse 17, but here's the verse that they would talk about it. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. You see, if you pop that one verse out of context, you can get to universalism. But then when you back up and look at verse 17, and verse 17 says, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive, so there has to be received, the abundance of grace and the free gift. So that's how it's talking about it. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be, be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Dear Lord, this is a thick text. I pray that you would help me just to be clear as we talk about it. Help us to be able to walk through it and to grasp what you want us to grasp. Lord, would the Spirit just allow us to be convicted where we need to be convicted and encouraged where we need to be encouraged so we'll be drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. All right, let's walk through our text. So point number one, the ruin of man through Adam. This is what we see in verse 12. It doesn't say Adam. It's obvious later on that this is what it's talking about. So therefore, just as sin came to the world, into the world through one man. So sin came into the world 
which makes me wonder, as I'm studying this, sin already existed. Well, the devil and his demons, sin was already there, but it came into the world, and when it came into the world, it was through the one man, and death through sin. So does this word death then mean spiritual death only, as some would interpret it, or spiritual death and physical death? I'm gonna contend that this means both physical death and spiritual death. It's after the sin in Adam in Genesis 3 that the Lord says as part of this, from dust you came to dust you shall return. I believe it's both and. And through that, death through sin, so that death spread to all men because all sinned. Now this is past tense. But it's because Paul's writing about the Old Testament. I don't think he's saying with the past tense, everybody sinned in Adam, so much as I think he's saying everybody sinned, which is just what he said to us in Romans chapter three, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So then death spread to all men because all sinned. Again, we all sin. There's the main point. You can't miss that. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. So Adam is there. You go to Abraham. You go to Moses. Finally, the law comes. There was still sin present, but they may not have known that it was a willful violation or trespass. So if they didn't have the law, does it mean they're okay? Well, no. He's already told us. Context. Allowing clearer passages to interpret more unclear passage. Allowing the context of Romans. He's already told us we have a conscience and we have a creation and that we suppress the truth. And so what he's saying here is the law wasn't given, but even before the law was given, Sin was not counted where there was no law, yet death reigned. And it reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So think about this. If he's pointing out here that the sin of those people was not exactly like the transgression of Adam, does that mean that we actually sinned and are guilty for what Adam did or that we are guilty for what we did? Why would he bring up the fact they sinned in a different way than Adam? This is gonna impact where you fall on that headship discussion in your theological views. Their sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So we have the first Adam, and then we have Jesus as the second Adam. We'll come back to this at the end, but if you don't have a literal historical first Adam, do you have a literal historical second Adam? If you don't have a literal historical fall that created sin in all people, at least the sin nature in all people, then why do you need somebody to come and rescue us from the sin nature in all people? And so Adam was a type. He was a representative, just like Christ is a type, the greater Adam and the greater representative. Now, don't misunderstand this. Jesus is so much better than Adam. He's not saying Jesus was just like Adam. In fact, the distance between Adam and Christ is greater than the distance between the worst animal you can think of and the greatest one you can think of. So what is that? It's the difference between a slug. Ew. And an eagle. It, it's the difference between, oh, I don't even know the name of it. What's that spider that has all those little spiders on top of its back? Well, you think you're killing one spider, but you kill the one spider and then thousands of little, oh, Yeah. It's the difference between that and the lion of the jungle. There's no real comparison here, but this is the way Paul is setting this up. Adam, his very name means human, human being, man, mankind. So Adam, as our representative, sins in the garden. By the way, don't 
don't, don't cast shade on Adam because we would have done it too. You would not have been there and been perfect. You would have messed up just like Adam messed up. So he sends as our representative and then that's gonna be imputed to us. We all are gonna be born into a world full of sin and death is gonna happen and we all have a nature that causes us all to sin. We are fleeing away from God, suppressing the truth. This is what Paul has told us all throughout, but it's okay because here comes Jesus and Jesus is gonna rescue us. That gets us to point number two, the rescue through Jesus. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, notice the word much more, I could have highlighted that too. The much more occurs because he's talking about the greater. He's setting up this contrast. For if the many died through the one trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the results of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass, eating of the knowledge of the tree and good and evil, brought condemnation. Okay, so now here, here we get the emphasis that something that Adam did affected all of us in this section because Adam sinned and it brought condemnation. And so that condemnation affects everybody, but the free gift following many trespasses. Why is it so much greater? Because we didn't sin once. We sin once a day, an hour, a minute. We sin all the time. And Jesus on the cross has already paid for all the sins you have done in your past, that you're doing today, and that you will do in your future. They're all forgiven and paid for on the cross. So how much greater is the one act of righteousness of Christ than the act of disobedience? One disobedience of Adam condemned us all. That one act of righteousness has forgiven all of our condemnable acts. It's much more. This is the good news. Verse 17 for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, again, it impacted us, much more will those who receive, and don't look at receive and think it's a work, it is a free gift by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but you have to receive it. It is not automatically applied to your life. Through those who receive it, the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness will reign in life. So we see it here. Verse 14, death reigned. We see it again here in reign in life. We're gonna see it again towards the end where it's gonna talk about sin reigned in death, but that grace might also reign through righteousness. This is where I get the word reign in the main idea is that God's grace is gonna reign over all of the sin and death in Adam. And it reigns in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. There, there's your point. Again, he's repeating it. I don't like the fact that Adam sinned and I'm to blame. Tough. It happens all the time. You're playing on a football team and somebody fumbles the ball. I didn't fumble the ball. I don't want to have to turn the ball over to the other team because the quarterback couldn't hold on to the snap from the center. We need a new quarterback. You're on the team. The other team gets the ball. You're gonna lose because of that turnover. Here it says to us that that one act brought condemnation for all men. We have to accept that this is what the scripture teaches. So then one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. This is the great news because I would have blown it if I had been in the garden 
and you would blow it. If God judged all of us based off of our own actions, we're all doomed. We are all doomed. We are all gonna be destroyed and condemned to hell. But instead, he takes in his perfect plan that sin and all are condemned. But then here comes the Savior Jesus to rescue us. And that rescue, if we receive it by grace alone, through faith alone, is imputed to us, not that we've earned it, so that we can all then overcome our sin and our death. All of your problems in this life will be solved by a good resurrection at the end. And that's what Jesus does. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. There's your contrast again. All right. So let me try to walk through this. Explain it in a slightly different way. Adam was in a garden. It was perfect. He was told, don't eat of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He failed. Jesus was in a desert. He had fasted for 40 days. He was tempted to turn the stone into bread. He succeeded. Jesus, on the cross, took a crown of thorns that was placed on his head, and he quite literally bore the curse of Adam's sin, where the curse was that there will be thorns and thistles from the ground. Adam grasped for equality with God, by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, coming in the form of a man and going to the cross and dying in the shameful death on the cursed tree in my place and for my sake so that by his penal substitutionary atonement, I could be then justified, I could be declared righteous, I could be reconciled to God. Jesus died on the sixth day of the week. Adam was created on the sixth day of the week. Jesus was raised on day one, beginning a new creation. And after his resurrection, he goes, and the first person he sees is Mary. And where's Mary? In a garden. We are in Adam by our birth. Oh, but if you receive that free gift, you are in Christ by your new birth. Adam's one act brought death. Christ's one act brings life. Adam's act of selfishness brought condemnation to us all. Christ's act of selflessness, dying for us, brings life to us all. Adam's disobedience brought destruction. Christ's obedience brings deliverance. Adam gave names to everything. He named it all. But one day, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that that one name is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Adam, we are all sinners and we have no hope. We are children of wrath, as Ephesians tells us. In Christ, we are declared righteous, even though we aren't. We are forgiven We are justified. We are adopted into the family of God. We are sons of the king and daughters of the king, co-heirs with Christ, and we will one day live and reign with him. We're created for the purpose of glorifying God and enjoying him forever. That's why we are in his image. We are image bearers to reflect that glory. This is what we see. So we get to the final two verses here. 
to the reign of grace. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You see the greater aspect of grace there. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So see eternal life here, that contrast. This is again while I think this passage is talking about physical death as well because it's contrasting. It's telling us that everybody died from Adam all the way up to Abraham and Moses and everywhere else. They all died. They died physically. And it's saying here that part of the fix and the grace being greater is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we back up in verse 20. Now the law came to increase the trespass. What does this mean? How does it increase the trespass? It increases the trespass because sometimes we do something and we don't know it's wrong. And then somebody comes and they tell us it's wrong and it makes it all the more worse. So what example could I use? Suppose you thought, not that anyone would do this. Suppose you thought, I can scan into chapel and then I can go sit in the hallway outside because I'm, I'm in the chapel building and I can watch chapel on my phone while I do homework on my laptop. That's okay. You know what? I could scan into chapel and I could watch chapel on my phone with my earbuds and I could go to Panda and get in line early. You know what? I could scan in and go back to my dorm room and watch chapel online because I'm still watching it. I'm still hearing it. So I'm still there metaphysically. <laughs> I don't even want to see the memes later, whatever. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. But then just suppose, what if somebody who's having way too much fun and way too small of a filter stands up in chapel and says to you, no, to be present is to be here in the seats because God built us for a community. I was listening to a book and it was talking about prisoners of war and what they did to break their spirit. The most effective weapon was to separate and isolate them and put them where they had no human contact, no verbal interaction with any other human. And friends, I'm telling you, the best thing you can do for your spiritual growth and your mental health and everything else is interact with other humans. Put the device down, get in the room, get in a seat. It was full. We got overflow, no excuse. So this is none of y'all because y'all are actually in the room. But it's not okay to sit in the hallway or to watch on your phone and go get in line or to go back to your dorm room. Part of the benefit for us is when we sing together like we're gonna do in just a minute, then my soul's encouraged. When I hear you singing loudly, whether you feel like it or not, my soul is encouraged. You help me in my spiritual walk with the joint praise of a God who is worthy. Even on the days when I don't feel like it, even on the days where my mind is distracted and I got all this other stuff going on and I'm just like, ah, I don't wanna be here. I listen to you sing and then I begin to sing and there's something in my heart that changes as I praise and worship the Lord together with you. So just to be clear, you scan in and you come in here. So now for those who don't do it, that are standing in line at Panda watching this on their phone, they know it's wrong. 
So that makes the trespass all the worse. See what I did there? Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the end. Let's go back to our theological implications because I never like to present a question without wrapping it up at some point in time with the answers, at least from my perspective. You can disagree. That's fine. Here's what we have. Did physical death come through sin? Yeah, I think it did. That's one of the reasons I believe God created the earth in six literal days and rested on the seventh. There were other reasons. We don't have time to dive too deeply into that. Was Adam our representative? Yeah, I think he was. I don't think he was just a bad example. I don't think we were seminally in Adam. I think Augustine was operating off a mistranslation of the Latin and he put that forward. I get it. There are implications theologically for you that we don't have time to go into because some people will then tie that into why Christ had no earthly father because sin was transmitted through the male and so they'll go there. This also has implications for age of accountability because if we are born in, if we were in Adam doing it, then we're automatically guilty and so how do you deal with that guilt upon birth and how do you deal with all the babies who die and all of this type of stuff? Like there are implications that we just don't have time to get into. I believe in the federal headship view. I believe that Adam was our representative and that he sinned and that that was imputed to all of mankind so that all of us are born with a sinful nature fleeing away from God and that eventually we all affirm Adam's sin with our own. So there's something in Adam's sin that we are all responsible for and we're responsible for our own sin at the same time and that that view demonstrates he was a representative and it helps explain Ephesians 2. We are separated from God. We are children of wrath but then there's the but God. I believe we are innately evil. You say, well, boy, that's a good outlook. Thank you for that encouragement. You just told me I was wicked and evil. The lens that you see yourself through and the world through will affect how you judge the data and how you live your life. And the Bible tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? One of the older translations I memorized is said, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Friends, that's us. That's why you need to be in the word every morning. You need to pray. You need to have Christian community that surrounds you because you on your own devices are going to drift away from God, not towards God. That's why we have the habits of grace, the spiritual disciplines in our life to help keep us transforming our minds, not conforming our minds. We wanna be like Christ. Does this passage teach universalism? I think I've covered it. But no, because context is key. No, it doesn't teach universalism. Read chapters one and two. If you can get to universalism from there, whew, you've got some gymnastic skills, theologically speaking. Is Adam a literal historical person? Yes, The only reason we would come to the Bible and think Adam's not a literal historical person is if we have another presupposition that's driving us to that view, that's causing us to make hermeneutical decisions that are not good, not wise, and not faithful because we are pushing for something else that we wanna hold to or believe, glasses that are affecting us. So I wanna say this to all of you. All those theological issues, you can dive deeper into later. But I don't wanna miss the main idea of the text which is that the free gift of grace in Jesus overcomes. It reigns over all of the sin and death in Adam. It takes care of all of it because Jesus is that much greater. And that's your good news today. 
no matter what you're going through, Jesus is greater. No matter what you've done, Jesus is greater. No matter what Adam's done, no matter how messed up our world is, Jesus is greater. We don't live for this world, we're pilgrims passing through. One day, we'll be with Jesus. Friends, I want you to know that you were loved. You're loved by us. You're loved even more by God. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help us to live our lives in reality of the truth, that you would help us to trust your word that you've given to us. There is a God and you have spoken and you've given us your word. So help us to live by it each and every day for your glory and not ours. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.